Hello, my darlings. FashionPod74, welcome along. Very big welcome to you and your ears. Thank you so much again for wrapping them around all these words of inspiration and encouragement. Really looking forward to sharing this podcast with you, actually. Uh, It is with the wonder that is Emily Doran. She is a potter. Well, you'll hear about it. Or ceramicist, much more fancy name for it. Uh, But So she makes handmade pottery herself on a spinning wheel. I can definitely think of worse ways to spend my days. And I'm not even that creative in the arty kind of way. Uh, So yeah, some great insight onto a world that I definitely know nothing about and is something that is sadly sort of on the decline. So a real treat to hear a bit about the world of all things ceramic Um, and some great bits of advice from Emily as well, doing it all herself and some hints and tips as ever, which hopefully will be, if not helpful, a little bit encouraging, just interesting, if nothing more. So Emily. You're listening to Passion Pod 74 with Emily Doran Pottery. So, sort of take me back, if you're sitting next to someone, do you describe yourself as a potter? It's really hard to know what to describe myself as. Potter seems like an old-fashioned kind of word. It's like you're from the 1920s. Yeah, so I kind of say... Which is kind of lovely, though. Yeah, I kind of say I'm a potter and then giggle and go, I make wheel-throwing tableware. And, uh, or ceramicist sometimes. Oh or yeah, that's sort of the cyst makes it sound more sounds modern. It sounds a bit posher and a bit kind of artier. Or, yeah, studio potter I think describes me perfectly, though. Because that's kind of, you know, making pottery in a studio. So if I'm going on your website or if I'm walking into your virtual store, tell yeah. me what, what sort of things that you make and that I could buy. Yeah, so it's all got a whole tableware range. It's kind of inspired by very rustic, earthy country pottery and kind of Japanese pottery, but more contemporary. And it's also kind of inspired by the coast and sea, and that's where my heart is, by the sea. Yeah, and the colours. <laughs> the colours, yeah. the blues, and the kind of, you know, warm oatmeal and kind of orangey kind of colours, sandy kind of colour. Um, and yeah, so you can buy all sorts, so mug, through to bowls, plates, lidded pots, big jugs, vases. I've got about, I think, about 20 different kind of items in about three different colours. And you get them through, you've got a website, haven't you? Do you mm. I mean, you sell them in different shops and stuff as well. Yeah, so I sell online on my website and then I've got about nearly 20 stockists now. Which Amazing. Is, which is great. And all over the country or? All over the country, literally from Scotland to Wales to water it's really amazing that is so cool that your stuff is being sold in those places yeah and that's just amazing amazing feeling and then the top one's probably liberty in london yes extra brownie points yeah, for that that's good. got a name drop that one i got it yeah and then also i've recently done stuff for a restaurant which is a really nice avenue to maybe go down in the future as well it's got the detox kitchens i've done all their plates and bowls and everything so oh, that's, God, yeah. that's a good gig isn't yeah, it yeah it's really good i want to do more of that yeah <laughs> keep it coming keep it coming yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're so cute. Do you know what I love about your mugs? They're so nice and big. Oh, good. Because I love a big mug. You don't See, want they, small. They shrunk a little bit. Oh, no. No, I've kind of, like, combined two sizes to make one ultimate size. So tell me, though, are these three different colours or stages? Three different colours. Colours. glazes. Yeah, OK. So that's a new one. That's, like, a more rustic-y kind of orangey speckledy one but uh, these were the two kind of core colours that I did and did the whole range basically originally in those yeah, two so like duck egg and speckled I love meal. this one yeah that's the most popular definitely is it yeah bowls with, with bowl, yeah lots of different size this little guy wobbly bowls I love this little guy this is your salt bowl isn't it yeah so there's some salt oh. bowls the dip bowl they're all just little wobbly ones these are really nice to make because everything else has to be like quite perfect and line them up make them the same but these I can make squeeze them make them all different so you know they're all odd and unique it must be like the most satisfying thing i've actually never done it you should do it is it just the most incredible feeling yeah it will when you 
have like 30 mugs to make it can be quite stressful <laughs> and to make them all the same but when you bowls you were right yeah little bowls yeah it's really kind of and when I haven't done it for like a week where like I've been doing other things or something it's so nice to come back to it and just sit there and get in the zone just sit on my wheel Oh, I mean, let me be <laughs> sick in my shoes. It's too ideal. I don't really know much about pottery, as I'm sure a lot of people probably don't. So mm. can you tell me in a, like, super simple form, like, the process that your, like, mug or one of these little beautiful bowls would go through in terms of how it gets from a big lump to this? Yeah, so there's lots of different stages. Um, it's really complicated. Basically, <laughs> basically, it starts off, yeah, lump of clay. You've got to kind of wedge up the clay to make sure there's no kind of lumps or air pockets. Um, I always weigh it out as well, so you know, so you make sure you have the exact same weight for every t- different piece you're making, so they're the same. Um, and then I throw the piece, and then you have to wait, say, a day until it gets what we call leather hard. And then the next stage is to pull a handle, attach the handle, or if you're making a bowl, then you've got to trim the bottom, put it back on the wheel, and, and turn the bottom, put a foot on or something. Um, or, you know, do all your bits where the clay is actually wet, so, you know, carve into it or decorate it in any way. Then it goes into the bisque firing, which is 980 degrees, or I fire it on 980, um, which basically makes it ceramic, but it's still porous. And then, this is too technical. No, I'm just <laughs> sitting there thinking, how the hell did you know how to do all this stuff? The courses. The courses. But the like, courses. seriously, it's just like bit firing, 980. It's like just thinking of you going through the process of doing it. There's just so much to learn. I know. I can't just hit how me. scientific it was, actually. It was really, I was like, oh my God, I bought kind of, I was looking up chemistry like but I bought like chemistry for dummies and stuff <laughs> it's like I'm an art student yeah sorry I interrupted you darling so yeah bisque firing and it comes out of there yeah so bisque firing comes out of there then you do your glazing because it can absorb the glaze you dip it in a big bucket of kind of wet glaze and then it, the water evaporates and it's kind of a powdery surface or you paint onto it with a, whatever decoration you want to do and then you put it back in the kiln and then I fire it to 1260 which is the stoneware top stoneware temperature and then it fires right up and then comes out looking all glassy and lovely. Uh, just, and here's one I did earlier. Exactly, easy. Easy <laughs> as that. Have you always wanted to do it? Because it is such an unusual thing mm. to do, like, in our world today, yeah. isn't it? Um, I definitely always wanted to do something physical and making. I've always been, like, a maker and making, you know, various bits and bobs and always done art and stuff. But I kind of opted out and didn't go to art school. All my friends went along and went to art school and I went and did art history. And why kind of... do you think Why do you think that was? Do you remember? Uh, I don't know. I think I just kind of... I thought... I thought I could maybe have a career in that a bit more. I thought, you know, it would be a bit scary to... You just you don't know what the future is when you go to art school, I think. But uh, so I went and did art history and then had a really good linear career in galleries and marketing. It was really great. And, uh, Do you enjoy it? Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. But then I just had this kind of overwhelming feeling like I just wanted to get back to making and actually, you know, physically doing something with my hands I, you live in such a digital world and you don't have anything at the end of the day there's no nothing satisfying you know to actually kind of get to grips with like tangible it's yeah like, so tangible that's yeah. the right word yeah um I had a bit of a kind of eureka moment actually at work I basically promoted all the exhibitions and I went to this artist studio uh, to see a work being made um, it actually was in a foundry um, and we were filming it for a promotional video and it wasn't actually the artist I wanted to be there was all these guys in these kind of like blue overalls making the work like the plaster casts you know um, all the metal work the really dirty the really, grubby yeah, ones with their masks on and goggles and I was like god I really want to be that craft person I don't want to be the artist actually I want to be the, the maker and it was a real kind of Realisation. Yeah, Realisation. And then 
that combined with the kind of lifelong feeling of wanting to kind of make made me kind of quit my job and actually go back to college where do you start though with that so did you th- you knew that it had to be a course or something like that yeah because I guess you have to research all that kind yeah of thing as- that was really hard actually because you can basically do a degree in ceramics which are actually becoming really rare and they're all closing down which is terrible because all the funding's kind of being cut um or you can basically go to adult education college and do kind of short courses so I decided to make up my own course basically for a year because a course didn't really exist that I could do for a year because I basically just wanted to do a real skill-based course. I didn't want to write any essays. Yeah, I didn't been want there, to... done that. Yeah, I've done that. I've done my dissertations. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I wanted to just make pottery and I didn't really have any idea how, how to even do it. You know, I didn't know the different techniques or anything. So kind of, I found a great college called City Lit in central London, which I really recommend for all sorts of things. And I did quite a few courses there during the day and then a couple of other colleges as well to make up the week. So I kind of made my own five day week of pottery and ceramics courses and then just kind of knuckled down and learned as much as I could for a year. Amazing. Yeah. So you great. sort of made that yourself. That's very sort of enterprising. <laughs> it's like you know, quite a commitment to make to it. I guess you yeah. sort of said to yourself that that was the year to do it. And yeah put that time aside no absolutely I just wanted to it was my one opportunity I basically had the opportunity to have a year where I didn't have to earn money which was the kind of key to being able to go back to college so I had to do as much as I could in that year I couldn't do a three-year degree and I thought going to different colleges under different teachers I could learn those different things those different skills but as soon as I started because you can throw you can slab build you can slip cast you can coil it's like another whole language yeah you can do so many types of making and I just started throwing I just I just wanted to do it on the wheel sorry yeah I was gonna say you're gonna have to break that down the slip car you know it's like fresh out of my pottery lingo just today yeah Uh, so that's when you like in ghost yeah in ghost yeah I get that so much yeah (laughs) I know sorry so boring it's like the one marker that we can all do it's like (laughs) oh yeah that romantic film yeah um yeah so that's the sort of pottery style yeah that's that's a very traditional way of making they've been doing it for thousands of years and that's just what appealed to me and I basically just couldn't get off the wheel and I basically didn't really pay much attention to the other methods because I just wanted to throw and then quite quickly after about three months I realized this is going to take a hell of a long time to learn how to throw (laughs) I thought it was I thought within three months I was going to be completely like oh great do it I'll be fine and then yeah it just took ages and then within the year I still was like oh god I've got so much to learn So out of interest, is it one of, I guess because of the style of it, it is one of the ones that requires, ironically, more investment in learning and practice? It's just hours, sat on the wheel. You need to be taught how to do it, but then it's just your own time that you need to put in sitting at the wheel. I think, what was it, 10,000 hours or 100,000 hours, they say, to learn a skill? I heard that recently as well. It's like, then I'm an expert. Then you're an expert, (laughs) Seven years, I think, is meant to be. So I'm three years in, so it's going to take me another four years. Um, But, yeah, so when I finished... I wasn't as far ahead as I thought I would be. And then I got myself a studio, uh, sharing with loads of other potters, which is brilliant, and I'm still there now. Um, so there is a little community that you've been able to tap into. Oh, yeah, massively, yeah. It's great. It's a real, really small world, actually. The teachers that teach at the colleges are in the studios that you visit on the open studios, and then you're in your own studio and you can, can work for someone. And it's just such a tiny world, particularly in London, around the country, really, as well the same names come up over and over again. But I guess that's the the advantage of the disadvantage of it being small or something that's sort of, you know, becoming less and less popular. Mm. It does mean that, you know, you are part of something that is, yeah, much more tight-knitted, which has its bonuses. Which is really nice, actually. And you can get loads of advice. My studio's got about 20 other potters in, or kind of ceramicists, doing sculpture or pottery or whatever they're doing, all different stuff, really different. Um, And I can 
always get their opinion or get their help when things break or you know you don't know what, why is this blown up in the kiln or why has this happened you know you've no idea and it's great yeah I can't it's so weird to think of you starting that though in terms of like I guess the courses and stuff would introduce you to like the materials you'd need and mm. the you know just the little bits and pieces in terms of moving from making them and enjoying and learning it to then setting it up as a business yeah exactly yeah yeah <clears throat> yeah because you when you're at college you've obviously got loads of resources you can use whatever you like they've got all the materials but then when you start to have to pay for stuff you suddenly have to reduce it right down you know you have to actually just go okay I can use one type of clay I need to you know mix up one glaze that I can use to begin with or it's a real kind of downsize and then actually figuring out what you want to make and sell is one of the biggest challenges definitely yeah because like the skills because I guess as well like your the um freedom you have to create anything as soon as you start doing like a range in inverted commas yeah. you are then you know you're restricted to making those same things which is yeah. what coming back to what you were saying earlier about the bowls mm. is so satisfying probably because you still have the freedom with some of the stuff in your range yeah it is being able to express yourself a bit more yeah definitely perhaps. although yeah. of course all of it is but you know less rigid form because mm, I always wanted to do a tableware range I think because I always saw it as okay I need to make some money from this I can't just do this as kind of a hobby so I thought the best way of doing it is to kind of have a nice concrete tableware range that then I can sell to shops and galleries but actually coming up with that range yet yeah, I think I gave myself kind of six months to kind of experiment and come up with that range by the kind of Christmas of the second year where I was off work um and then I kind of developed that even more actually and then did a trade show um to kind of get some shops and galleries but that yeah it was actually really difficult and you have so many disasters and so much trial and error to get like to get where I am now and it's still developing and still changing as well um Dal, let's just go back a bit you said obviously for certain circumstances you had this year where you didn't have to worry about earning yeah once you came to the end of that in the study yeah. how did you make it work financially then well to begin with it was quite good actually as soon as I got out of college I got a job with another potter it was really good timing she was called Sue Bins and she does beautiful kind of stripy tableware in London North London so I worked with her making uh, time or... um yeah all sorts of things so kind of just being her studio assistant which was just the best thing because it made me learn so much so yeah just all sorts of things like making certain pieces glazing even just like packing up her orders such great practice for you though with with what you were about to embark on as well it's like that the the closest you're going to get to doing it yourself without doing it yourself absolutely so that helped pay my studio rent and my material costs and everything and then I did start selling within six months that kind of helped but yeah that first six months was tricky but I definitely yeah, recommend working with somebody and getting those kind of basic skills about how to run a business like yours is so important. Like even just how to wrap up an order for a shop. You know, it sounds like a really easy thing to do, but it's not. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> sound easy to me, yeah. my darling. <laughs> Wrapping up 30 mugs in a big box, you actually need to do it in a certain way to make sure they don't smash. You know, if you're sending it to Japan or something, you know, you need to make sure it's all good. So I learned so much stuff like that that I've now used, like, every day. Yeah, that's so cool. And so from so from moving from that now and you saying, you know, getting your stuff in shops, yeah. was that literally just about knocking on doors and sending stuff off to people? Like, how did you go about that process of getting your stuff out there, really? Yeah, so to begin that- with with that trade show I imagine that, yeah to begin with I did a trade show called the British Craft Trade Show that was up in Harrogate and that was really good for, and it also pushed me to make my range you know really slick and get my trade price list together and all the things you need to do that do. deadline yeah. almost yeah. yeah you kind of need that sometimes when you work for yourself you need a deadline um, and so I did that to begin with and got a handful of shops from that which was great and then after that I felt more confident 
that I could sell to shops and galleries. So then I approached them more directly. So I just literally just emailed them. There's a really great blog that I read called the Indie Retail Academy, which is amazing. And she's really funny. And she gives you loads of advice about how to approach shops and galleries. Oh, amazing. And great find. Literally, even with like, you know, a draft email you can send and stuff like that. And so I kind of followed blogs and stuff like that and tried to send good proposals to shops and galleries. And yeah, I actually got a really good response. And that's how I've got most of my shops recently, actually, just by approaching them myself. It shows you if you step out and give it a bash. Yeah, because trade shows are expensive. It could be like £1,000 to do a trade show, which is a lot of money. Yeah, (laughs) and especially at the early stage, like, (laughs) please buy a mug, please, just one. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Um, Dal, so what do you think have been the most, like, the biggest challenges of doing what you've done? What have you found the most tricky? Mm, I think... For me personally, it's been the making. Actually, I couldn't believe how hard it was to actually get the skills. I think if you're doing a skill-based sort of craft that you haven't done before, it takes a long time to learn. And I think that's been the biggest challenge and it still is a challenge today because it's been three years, but I'm still learning all the time. So patience with it. Yeah, patience, definitely. And also right at the beginning, it was really hard to not have the structure of a job. You know, I was working for five years. You're so used to that nine to five. And it can be quite lonely at the beginning. And you need to kind of have quite a lot of confidence and keep yourself going and, and, you know, reassure yourself that it's going to be okay. Did you have any tips for how you did that? Because that's like (laughs) the golden, that's the golden nugget we all need. I'm like, glean as many as I can. Go on, just tell me there's a magic vitamin supplement I can take and it'll all be fine. Definitely. Uh, (laughs) I started going swimming. That helped. With exercise. Exercise. Yeah. In my everyday. That actually did actually really help. Um, having like someone to support you, like my boyfriend, obviously was so supportive. It was amazing. So having someone to kind of reassure you when you've had kind of a bad day or when you need to kind of be motivated is really key. Having that support network, I think is important and just kind of creating routines for yourself, like not letting yourself think, Oh, I'll go in, in an hour, go, no, I have to be in at 9.30 or something and it'll make you create a structure for yourself, basically. Yeah, it's like that self-motivation you've got to find, you know, you've got to find some way of doing otherwise it just all blurs into one big blob of... And actually, to begin with, I thought, oh, I I can work all the time at the weekend, whatever. But actually now I'm like, I need to have a weekend. I like I try and work Monday to Friday and have a weekend off because otherwise there's no guilt-free time. It's exactly, (laughs) for me this year, that's been the biggest thing I've learned and it makes such a difference. And actually in the evenings as well, yeah, work a bit late, but... You know, people, you know, don't need to be sitting on the end of their emails at like half yeah. nine at night about worrying about various things. Yeah. They can just wait till tomorrow. I think it's very hard to find that line when you're working for yourself. Yeah. Most of the time. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. And when I went on holiday recently and I was like, oh God, two weeks off, what am I going to do? And I put my out of office on, you know, contact me in my mobile office an emergency. And it was fine. I came back and it was just like, I don't have any urgent emails or anything I did have, I can deal with, you know. It's, <laughs> yeah, you don't need to beat yourself up about working like 24 seven yeah I need to get out of your head sometimes yeah. um one of my biggest challenges was photography or product photography because to begin with I bought all these lights and this white bog cube and tried to do it like that and it all just came out yellow and just rubbish and because photography is like the most important thing for selling for yeah of course your website you can't create your website until you've got good photography but then I ended up 
figured out eventually to do it outside in the bright sunlight on a white background. It's the only way I can do it because I don't have professional lights and stuff. And then teaching myself how to use Photoshop to cut it out really well. So that was a huge challenge. Googling, looking on YouTube, how to cut out. I know most people might be able to do this, but I couldn't. No. Also, even having Photoshop, like that's just quite grown up. Yeah, I know. I had to buy Photoshop. It's actually not that bad. It was like £100 for a year. Oh, okay. Yeah. And worth it if you can create. Definitely worth it. Because actually, as you say, for you, it's like what people are seeing. It's like absolutely integral that that's the best it can be, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I think it's the most important thing for selling. On my website as well, like I couldn't, it was so frustrating not being able to do my website until I had good photography. So that was, I think, actually was one of my biggest challenges. Was that literally trial and error that you one day thought, oh, I'll just try it outside? I mean, yeah, that... basically. I, I think I did some other kind of lifestyle photography outside on like a table. And then I was like, oh, that actually looks way better. So, yeah, I just put a white background behind. But I think when I get some, I don't know, when I'm further down the line, I'm going to get professional photography. That's <laughs> like, leave Photoshop wait. behind. Yeah, I can't wait to get professional <laughs> photography. Um, what advice do you think you'd give? I guess that kind of ties in with that. But like mm. it, starting out, if you were to give yourself advice again, yeah, what what advice do you wish you kind of been given? Definitely to kind of immerse yourself in the world that you're entering into, whatever that world may be. So pottery, like I said, is quite a small little world. But I didn't really realise that until I got involved in my studio and with a job and you know with other events that were happening. I just think it's so important to kind of. I know it's like networking, but it's more yeah, networking in a friendly way. In a friendly way, it's more kind of like getting advice and experience from people that are in that world and that you're joining. You know, so just kind of immerse yourself with as much as many things as possible. Magic. I just wish I had a world I could immerse myself. As well. <laughs> I'm jealous of the studio. The studio for you is a real cool thing. Yeah, that's to be able to really... be part of you know a group of you guys Mm, definitely because it's a shared studio that I'm in I thought I'll within a year I'll go and get my own space but actually I'm still there you know two and a half years later and I don't have any intention of leaving anytime soon (laughs) I like it we need you humans yeah I like it I love being with people I don't I wouldn't want to be on my own in a shed in the bottom of the garden obviously that works for some people but I couldn't do that and it's inspiring as well people are doing all different sorts of things and it pushes you to do new things and experiment because you can get stuck in a bit of a rut if you've created something that you're selling that's selling well then you're like well what's the motivation to make different things but I think you always need to push yourself yeah no it's really good even that tv program that's on at the moment yes of course (laughs) you are the ladies of the hour or ladies and gents of the hour it's great but that even that tv program is quite inspiring and it reminds me of all the other stuff you can do because I'm in my own little world of what I make but it reminds me you can make sinks and sculptures and I don't know you can do all sorts You've been listening to Passion Pod 74 with Emily Dawn Pottery. Pretty interesting stuff, isn't it? Real joy now to say that I know a bit more about pottery. Don't quiz me. Massive thanks to Emily for giving her time to chat to us about all of her amazing creations. I just found it super inspiring. So hopefully you did as well. Uh, do get in touch with us and let us know what you're thinking at Passion Pod so you can find us on Facebook and iTunes. Come on, loves. We need some more reviews, please. Otherwise, other people can't find us. It would be such a shame that these chats with these wonderful people just aren't being discovered. So just make a quick cup of tea now. Or if you're in the train, come on, take three seconds. Get onto iTunes and give us a cheeky review. You know, don't even have to give us the full stars. It's your very own choice. But any kind of input from you would be muchly appreciated. Next week, really excited to be chatting to the founder of a charity. I chatted to one guy who set up a charity, One Home, Many Hopes, way, way back. I think it was like Passion Pod number six or so. Um, So, yeah, really, really looking forward to chatting to her next week. 
It's a good one before Christmas as well, I reckon. You know, just a little reminder while we're running around in like the middle of silly season. It's just getting bonkers, isn't it? Anyway, I hope you're surviving it and make sure you're listening next week so that we can give you a bit of calm and inspiration amongst all the craziness. In the meantime, good luck.